A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering under the radar and headline making crime stories from around the country every week. We are recording this on April 15th. 2020. And as you can see, we are still following the Safer at Home guidelines. I'm in my kitchen. Our guest today is Allison Treasel, a criminal defense attorney, and she is in her lovely home. I am. I'm in my office. This is making it, uh, you know, you can still talk crime no matter where you are, which is good. Good and bad, I would say. Right. Um, Allison, how are you holding up? I know last time um, you were on the podcast, you were talking about having to deal with three kids being um, homeschooled and three broken windows. I know because we're friends on Facebook, your son just turned 16 and you all had to come up with a clever way to celebrate his 16th birthday. Right. So the DMV had canceled his driving test, which for all 16 year olds, that's heartbreaking, right? I remember that sense of freedom that I was looking so forward to and for him it was just ripped away. So we did sort of a birthday parade where his friends came and threw things at him, which was great. (laughs) And then um, what I did was I went online honing my my old school fake ID making skills and sort of made him a a fake driver's license. And we had it imprinted on a birthday cake and that was his birthday cake. So it was, look, you do what you can, right? You make the best out of a tough situation. And he he got to see some of his friends and he got to see what his driver's license will look like eventually. And, uh, you know, there we are. It's, it's a strange time because I'm still practicing criminal defense and people are still getting arrested. So how do we get them before a judge and, um, and have their matters heard, like an arraignment or something like that? So we're adjusting to that. I mean, the courts have never seen anything like it. So it's a really, um, it's a strange time, but it, it's certainly, um, novel for most of us attorneys and judges. Yep. I think it's challenging for all of us. Well, thanks, Allison, for being with us. Thank you for having me. And we've got um, two incredible cases today, as usual, because crime, you know, the pandemic doesn't seem to be stopping crime. (laughs) By the way, it's changing it a little bit. Um, You're not really seeing any street crimes, but unfortunately, you're seeing a lot of domestic violence crimes. You're, You're seeing you know, that, that that's really is spiking, I know, in Los Angeles because people are home and they're confined and they're getting on everybody's nerves. And if, uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that results in a uh, domestic disturbance call for the police. And, and that is very serious and very concerning. Allison, our two cases this week, an Alabama detective has been charged with murder after she allegedly shot and killed the other woman in what investigators say is a love triangle gone wrong. And as I always say, have you ever seen a love triangle go right? Yeah, correct. 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 And the other case we will be looking at is the case of Lori Vallow, whose two kids have been missing since September, and her husband, Chad Daybell. They are now officially under investigation, possibly for murder. But before we get to those two cases, a word from our sponsor, Raycon. 
You know, I am constantly staying up to date on the latest true crime news. Of course, it's my life. And with Raycon wireless earbuds, it's making doing so so much easier. Raycon was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg and Cardi B are obsessed with them. They also come in a range of colors and patterns. And did I mention that they are insanely comfortable? The earbuds come in this great little compact carrying case and the case also charges the earbuds. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market and they sound just as amazing as those top audio brands. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, and more bass and more compact designs that gives you this really nice noise-isolating fit. It also comes in a bunch of new and fun colors. You can click on the link in the description box below to get 15% off your order or go to buyraycon.com slash TCD, that's for True Crime Daily, for 15% off your order. Once again, that's buyraycon.com slash TCD for 15% off your order. I think you'll be pleased. Allison, the first case that we are going to examine is the case of Lori Vallow and her husband, Chad Daybell. Her two children have been missing since September. This is a case that has made national headlines. And the more you look into their private lives, the more this thing gets crazy because there are four dead people associated in one way or in another to Lori Vallow. Anna, this is the most bizarre, deadly web, deadly family tree I have ever uncovered in a criminal case. And by the way, both have, have, you know, say that they have no idea what's happened to their children and they have nothing to do with the deaths. I understand that. But here, there is more smoke than any uh, wood-burning fireplace I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like this, where you have everybody these two touch either is attempted, someone has attempted to kill them or is actually, they've died. So They've died. They've right. died. Yeah. Yeah. Mysteriously died. And, and what's interesting as we go through this case now is that at the time that these people died, it appeared that most of them had died of natural causes or unknown causes. And now that is all changing because of this new information. Right. Because if one person dies of a heart attack, even though they're in good health and there was no underlying health concerns, you say, okay, maybe. But now we're looking at essentially three de- suspicious deaths, one attempted murder, um, and two missing children who haven't been heard from in six months. This has gotten, this has gotten really just awful and scary. So the Idaho Attorney General has now taken over the case. This is now going to be the lead investigative force. Uh, They are looking into the disappearance of seven-year-old Joshua Vallow and his half-sister, 17-year-old Tylee Ryan. So same mom, two different dads. Oh, and what a surprise. Both these dads are dead now. This is part of the crazy story here. (laughs) The children have been missing seven months now, since September of 2019. And one of the many suspicious things about this case, Allison, is that their mother never reported them missing. She repeatedly lied to friends, family, law enforcement, 
saying that they were actually staying with other people, with friends or with, with grandparents. And every time the police or somebody called to verify that, they said, we haven't seen, we haven't talked to them or seen them since September. So, um, and the case with JJ, which is a very odd relationship, but essentially it is uh, that, that her husband before Chad Daybell, her husband, who is Vallow, um, has a sister, and it's the, the sister is the grandmother of JJ. Are you with me? I see your eyes rolling. I know. I know, but is the grandmother, the mother and could not take care of JJ, so his mother, who is the grand, her, her mother, who's the grandmother, stepped in, and because they were older people and because Lori Vallow and her husband were such at the time respected members of the community, they were people who people looked up to and thought, well, they're such loving, doting, wonderful parents. They would be the best people to take, uh, to take over parenting JJ, who is autistic. So that, I'm sorry. No. And so that is why they had JJ in the first place. What now? When you go through the story, what's interesting is it was the grandmother's suspicions and lack of contact. She kept saying, "Where's JJ?" And Lori would give a story after story after story. That finally she calls and asks for a welfare check of JJ. And by the time they do that welfare check in November, several people have already died. The kids have been missing and um, Lori has remarried. So it's an amazing amount of things that have happened in, in a short period of time. We want to make clear now that Lori Vallow is sitting in jail currently. What she is charged with, though, she is charged with felonies, but with deserting her children. And while they're investigating the disappearance of the two children, they are now expanding the investigation into potential murder investigations because of all of these suspicious deaths. As we have said, this is a complicated case. Four people have died under mysterious circumstances. Everyone is somehow related. And there are three spouses or former spouses and a brother uh, among the dead here. So that further complicates things. And Um, Anna, can I just jump in with the the desertion charges? So mm -hmm. she's being held in custody and they can actually keep her in custody on those because it's two felony counts. And each of those counts of desertion of the child carry a maximum of 14 years in prison. So Lori is being held on a very high bail, um, but she's been in custody uh, for the last uh, month and a half or two months or so um, while they're sorting out all these other mysterious circumstances that frankly, I believe at the end of the day, some will result in very, very serious charges, including murder. I think that that is probable, Allison. So I think the easiest way to tell this story for people who are not familiar with it will be in a chronological order because that will help you see how the case was unfolding before authorities even knew that the children were missing. And then I think it paints a clearer picture. So let's go back to April of 2018. Lori's ex-husband at the time, Joseph Ryan. Now, he would be the third husband. He's the father of 17-year-old Tylee 
Ryan, remember, she's been, she's been missing since September. He dies of an apparent heart attack in Phoenix. Joseph Ryan is cremated. And just a little context, he and Lori were in the middle of a custody battle. Okay? First thing, a little blip right now. We'll, we'll go back and but see if... At yeah. the time, that, does, that doesn't raise any red flags alone, right? It, people die of a heart attack. Um, I, and that's an isolated incident where there's no reason for police to say there's foul play. However, keep going. However, about the same time, Lori's current marriage to husband number four, that would be Charles Vallow, the father of J.J. Joshua, right, who had adopted Joshua, J.J. Um, she is currently married to Charles Vallow, and their marriage is kind of on the rocks. So a year later, so this would be a year after the last ex-husband dies, the current husband files for divorce. So this would be in February of 2019. Okay. He charges a Lori um, has actually been very abusive towards JJ and abusive towards him, Charles. He claims in the paperwork that he's worried for his son's safety, his own life. Apparently he claims that she stole $35,000 from his business. Um, and this is the other thing that's very interesting in the divorce documents, he claims that Lori had suddenly become obsessed with preparing for the end of the world and even threatened to kill Charles if he got in the way of her preparation for doomsday. She was preparing for the second coming of Christ. So Charles, this would be husband number four, asked for a protective order. And he also suggested that the court should do a psychological examination of his current wife, Lori Vallow. Right. I mean, Anna, at this point, we know that people are concerned that she is mentally unstable, that she has become this religious zealot who believes that the end of the world is coming and that a group of people need to prepare for it. We know that Charles, Charles Vallow has told several people, including his sister, who we remember as the grandma of JJ, that he's concerned for his safety. And so... Even though the law enforcement's not involved, there certainly is whispers that something is going on that's very, very wrong. And this is really the very beginning of it. But so far, nothing, nothing too horrible, right? Five months after Charles Vallow files for divorce, okay, so this would be July of 2019 if you're keeping up with us, Lori Vallow and her husband are now separated. Charles is picking up their seven-year-old son, Joshua, JJ, from her home in Chandler, Arizona. According to police, Charles is attacked by the stepdaughter, the 17-year-old who's missing. She comes at him with a metal baseball bat. Uh, 17, so, okay, so something is going on there. She claims, she tells police at the time, that her stepdad was being very threatening towards the mother. Lori's brother is in the house. His name is Alex Cox. Her brother goes and gets a gun and shoots Charles Vallow, and he kills him. He tells the cops that it was self-defense, that the guy was attacking him, and the cops say, okay, we believe you. We're not going to press any charges. However, I have to say that when, you, when the police discussed this in retrospect, they said it was very, very odd that Alex complained of some kind of injury to his, the back of his head, 
But it, when they looked at it, and, and apparently Charles Vallow had attacked him with a bat, and he was acting in self-defense, they said that the injuries were not consistent with someone who was as big as Charles uh, Vallow. He had been a former athlete, and that if he would have inflicted a blow to the back of someone's head, it would have been much more substantial than that. Also, when the police get there, Lori Vallow is not there. She, um, she tells the police that she went to drop something off for JJ or drop JJ off at school. But in fact, she was there for the entire event. And when they interview the daughter, uh, Tylee, her story is a bit contrived where a 17 year old wouldn't say things to the police that she says like, well, in retrospect. And they thought, well, that's a strange statement for a 17 year old to make. But it appears that she backs her uncle Alex and her mom's story that he had, that Charles had attacked, was trying the daughter. Now, subsequent interviews of Charles's sister and Charles's ex wife. So, Charles, who she had, they had several children together, Charles's ex wife said, Look, we went through a divorce. I was married to him for 13 years. And he was never violent. He never had a propensity for violence. He never would have assaulted a child. And so the stories now are just not making any sense. They don't fit into the type of people these people are. So it's starting to to unravel, but not enough. Not enough. So now Lori Vallow's ex-husband is dead and her estranged husband is dead each of them the father of each of her children. Okay, moving on. (laughs) One would think that this would be enough, but of course, not in this case. So shortly after the death of her estranged husband, Charles Vallow, on September 1st of 2019, Lori takes the kids, her brother, a niece, and they all move to Idaho for a fresh start. Now, the fresh start also includes Lori searching for a new husband. And shortly after getting to Idaho, she finds a man that she's very interested in. And he, however, is married to someone else. Wait, but, can I back up? Anna, I got to say this. I got to say this. The day after her husband is killed by her brother, Lori Vallow throws a pool party at her house. A pool party. Yes. Odd at the same behavior. place. It is very odd behavior. Same yeah. place where he has just been shot. But, so, moving on. Moving on. I, you know what? I, every, at every time that we name something that has happened, there are at least three tangents that we could take from each bizarre oh. behavior. Correct. <laughs> so, we're going to keep going this right. way. So, now we're in Idaho, and Lori's looking for a new husband, and she has found one. She has fallen for Chad Daybell. He happens to be married to a woman named Tammy, but this is not really a problem. As you will see, (laughs) something horrible is going to happen to poor Tammy. And by the way, Tammy seems like the most lovely person in the world, right? I mean, every, she was a school librarian or something like that. I mean, everybody said she was like the most beloved person in the town. You know, when they say that Lori was a doomsdayer, honestly, it's everyone that came in contact with Lori ended up with a doomsday ending. Correct. That, that's this, is the- like, this is like real life Ozark, okay? I mean, 
everybody surrounding this woman, there is just mass tragedy and criminal act. It's just, okay, so here we go. Keep going. Definitely. I love your analogy. I just finished seeing Ozark. I agree with you. It's the real life Ozark. Yeah. Lori sets her sights on Chad Daybell, who has written several religious books and blogs about the end of the world. Is this not a perfect match? This is like doomsday heaven for these two. So their affair progresses, and this is when the kids disappear. So on September 8th, Lori Vallow decides to go to Yellowstone with her family. That is the last time that her 17-year-old daughter was seen alive because the rangers at the park were able to come up with some surveillance photos that showed her at the entrance of the park. So we know that she was alive on that day, but apparently that's the last time anyone ever saw her. So we think at this point she may have disappeared. About two weeks later, her son, JJ Joshua, is seen for the last time at his elementary school. Lori tells the principal that she's going to homeschool her child and she takes him out of school. That is the last time now that we see JJ. The relationship is progressing with Chad Daybell. On October 1st, Lori rents a storage unit and she puts her kids' stuff in there. And surveillance video shows that they, she and her brother went in there about nine times. Now, Allison, I don't find anything particularly suspicious about someone going to a storage unit that they just rented at the um, time. Anna? Yes. Her children's belongings and all the toys are in the storage unit. Now, that's very suspicious. And by the way, all good crime stories involve some kind of storage unit, okay? I'm just telling you, (laughs) um, people don't go to storage nine times um, and they're not hiding something. It's just, any of these facts alone raise a bit of suspicion. But when you start telling the story, it is dark and it is creepy. And um, these, these two, it appears, stop at nothing. And so when you say storage unit, they weren't moving their grandma's china into the storage unit. They were moving her children's belongings and toys into that storage unit. Like you said, at the time... It really was nothing much more than another little blip. All right. Perspective is everything, right? A few days later, this is when it gets really interesting. On October 9th, this is a few days after they get the storage unit. Tammy Daybell, this would be Chad's lovely wife. The sweet librarian. She calls 911 and she says someone with a mask shot at her with what she thought was a, a, a paintball gun while she was unloading groceries from the car. How bizarre is this? Well, it's even more bizarre considering, and I'm going to go off on a quick tangent, so everybody stay with me. I really need a flow chart, okay? A uh, niece of Lori's, a girl by the name of Melanie, had been married to a guy named Brandon, and Melanie also a true believer in this doomsday cult, decides to leave Brandon and her children. And Brandon also experiences a drive-by shooting. However, he believes that it was not a paintball gun because there are bullet holes in his car. So he believes 
that it is all connected to this doomsday cult because his wife has left him and their four children behind. And she has also moved to Idaho with guess who? Alex, which is Lori's brother. Alex, Lori's brother, who killed Charles Vallow, her estranged husband. I think you need a PhD just to sort out this family tree. I wish that I did have like a chart behind me so we could even like to scribble on because there's so much. Okay, now it gets very, it gets even darker and more serious. 10 days after that paintball shooting where she's taking her groceries out of the car, she dies in her sleep. Tammy dies in her sleep. Her husband, Chad. librarian has died in her sleep. Yeah. 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 Her husband says she had a terrible cough when she went to sleep and she never woke up. A relative of hers says, saw her two weeks earlier. She looked fine. The woman's 49 years old. So she gets buried. You know, the, the authorities don't think much of it. They write natural causes as the cause of death. Wait a minute. Chad Daybell says, oh, we don't need an autopsy. We're already grieving. We're already grieving. Don't put our family through more of this. So no autopsy. No, no autopsy. So she gets buried. And this is really about the time that the scandal starts to unravel. So this poor woman is now dead. She's been buried. And guess what happens? Two weeks after poor Tammy's been put in the ground. There's wedding bells. There's wedding bells. Yes, yes. The two have found each other in marital bliss. Yes, in doomsday bliss. Yes. You have Lori is now marrying, I guess this is husband number five, and forgive me if I have the numbers wrong because there's a lot of husbands. They now marry. They go to Hawaii two weeks after Tammy's death. And what's weird is that apparently, you know, while the two of them are now a happy new couple, they start telling other people that they meet very bizarre things. Right, Allison? Well, they say that, that Lori never had any children, right? She had no children. They tell somebody else that one of Lori's children has passed away. And I have to say something. I, I, I don't expect for the police to, um, there, there was a lot, that, there was a couple states that were involved, okay? These are two, at some time, independent families. But at some point, the pieces of this puzzle have got to start coming together, okay? Enough people know that there's been several deaths. Enough people know that Lori has moved to Idaho. Enough people know that Tammy has died and that Daybell is now married to Lori Vallow. So at some point, all of these pieces have got to start coming together. And I don't know if it would make a difference or would have made a difference in the children's disappearance and whether they are alive or not. Um, But unfortunately, there was not a soon enough connection between the police agencies. That, that is true. I, I agree. Uh, apparently, the police still don't know that the kids are missing at this time because it's not going to really be until the end of November when the grandmother calls the police for a welfare check that it's finally discovered that the kids are missing. And Lori told the authorities that the kids were in Arizona with other relatives, which, of course, turned out not to be true. Anna, what what happens once they get married? Don't they go don't they go on their honeymoon in Hawaii or something like that? Don't 
don't these two go to Hawaii? And does anyone ask where the kids are then? I mean, is there any conversation? I believe that there is. I believe that um, both uh, that Chad had said that there weren't any kids. And then then one of them said that Tylee had actually died in 2017, like two years earlier. It was a very bizarre thing to say. So, so those statements, so if you're meeting them for the first time, you know, you, you would just accept what they're saying is truth. So, but the people who were hearing this, of course, didn't have the perspective of all the stuff that had happened. So it's November, they're married, they're in Hawaii, they're starting their new life. Also in November is when the grandmother calls the authorities and says, something's wrong, please do a welfare check. And when they do the welfare check, Lori, the mother says, oh, they're in Arizona with other relatives, which turns out not to be true. That, here, here is when things start to get very interesting. Now the authorities are on to them. The grandmother calls authorities and gives them an address that she has found in Idaho because she has gone on, she has gone on to her deceased brother's uh, Gmail account and learns that through that account, someone has been ordering things through Amazon. And it is Lori Vallow, but she's now using an Idaho address. So that is how she connects that Lori is now in Idaho. So she calls the police and she says, this is where she is. Can you please do a welfare check? We're looking for our grandson, JJ, who we haven't heard from in several months. And it takes the police in Idaho several weeks to show up to do that welfare check. So things start heating up very quickly, but there's that three-week delay from when she calls and asks to do a welfare check, they mosey out to the house in Idaho, and then things really start to pick up. So at this point, the police are really starting to get suspicious and are seeing perhaps the bigger picture here. And Tammy comes back into focus. This is the woman who died in her sleep. On December 11th, the authorities exhume Tammy's body. This is Chad's wife who died in her sleep. Police do an autopsy, but they haven't revealed the results of the autopsy. Okay, the very next day, the very next day, Lori Vallow's brother, Alex, the one who shot her other husband, he's found dead in his house. Cause of death? Unknown. What do you make of this? Um, either this is the most unlucky family um, I've ever seen, or there is some serious foul play. And usually, you know, the, the, the saying, right? There's smoke, there's fire. Where there's Lori Vallow, there's death. Where there is Lori Vallow, no matter where she is, there seems to be death everywhere. So we now have two husbands dead. We have a brother, Tam- a brother and Tammy. Four people are now dead. And it's- two children that are missing. So now the authorities really realize, oh my Lord, we have a massive case here. I mean, what are we dealing with? Is this a potential serial killer? Is, is this a religious prophecy, which is, uh, which is a very interesting thing, by the way, because I want to talk about that a little bit later. But does she so believe that um, she is sort of the angel of death killing people because she is following this calling that there's going to be the end of the earth 
and this is better for them. I mean, that, that it's becoming a very surreal, um, almost life imitating art. You know, it's, it's one of those kind of macabre stories where someone believes that it's the end of earth is near. So it's best to kill everybody before, um, this unnatural phenomenon happens. Finally, there is some action that is taken besides, you know, looking into old murder case, well, mysterious death cases. On January 25th, Lori and Chad's home in Hawaii is searched. Again, she's ordered to produce the kids. The kids don't, there are no kids to produce. So on February 20th, Lori is arrested and transported back to Idaho. And that is where she sits, still in Idaho, charged with the deserting her kids charge, but nothing having to do with any of these other cases. While she is now sitting in jail, so many other parts of this case start unraveling. Yeah, they've come to light. They start unraveling. I, I mean... And we want to make it clear that Chad Daybell, her current husband, has been charged with nothing. He has not been charged with anything. We want to be absolutely clear with that. Um, And so there are new court records that have recently been released. And in those records, Lori claims that JJ, Joshua, and Tylee were possessed and that they were zombies. I don't know if that's going to be a possible reason for what happened to them, but come on now. Okay, so that's sort of what I was talking about. And I do want to digress into this because our listeners are going to, this is a very interesting situation, okay? If in fact there is foul play and if in fact Lori is charged with a murder, if that happens, um, undoubtedly, and I speak as a criminal defense attorney, there may come a time where they say, look, she had this mental illness or mental disease where she truly believed through a religious freedom that these people were possessed and that she had this calling that ordered her to do these things, okay? And um, there was a very uh, well-publicized Amish case not that many years ago where these people were extreme Amish and they believed that, um, that some of their members were not Amish enough and so they believe that they had a calling to, to cut the Amish men's beards and sleep with their wives, I'm serious, because they needed to show them as part of their religion that they, they had to be more Amish and they had to listen to the supreme leader, okay? So there is that case, and the court said, you can't use that as a defense. You can believe anything you want but you can't act on it. You cannot commit crime under the guise that you're expressing your your religious freedom or your beliefs. You cannot do that. And many years ago, I was involved in a murder case where we were defending somebody who he believed that his wife was possessed by the devil. And he really did believe that. And he and the preacher went to stomp to excise, to perform an exorcism. Anna, you're making a face, but I'm serious. I know. They truly believed that they were performing an exorcism on her and they stomped her to death, okay? And it was the same type of argument where you can believe anything you want, but when you act on those beliefs 
and those actions are criminal, you are absolutely as liable as anybody that has a premeditation to kill somebody. So if in fact she is ultimately charged, all of this will be interesting discussion in a courtroom, but ultimately she will not be able to hide behind the fact that she had these religious or cult-like callings. And that's what motivated her to do it. So the question for me, Allison, what do you think actually happened here? I mean, do you think it's possible that she tried to kill all these people who are now dead? Well, right. It goes, it goes one of two ways. Either she is an absolute sinister uh, psychopath, serial killer, or she truly believes that this religious calling or this cult client calling where there's this prediction of doomsday, which I believe, by the way, is July 2020, okay? Um, which, by the way, is a very interesting, right? Because you've got this pandemic right now. And is she going to say to them, see, I told you that the world would come to an end. I mean, you know, you, you can always envision then, you, look, she, she really believed it and this was proven to be true or something crazy like that. But, you know, when people truly believe something and they have this delusion and they they believe that they have this religious calling, they really will stop at nothing. Right. I mean, we've we've seen this before. So, Anna, you remember the um, the cult in San Diego, Heaven's Gate, and nothing could have dissuaded them. Nothing could have dissuaded them to believe that the end of the earth wasn't near and that they had to end their lives. So I am just saying that that very well could be the scenario here. But as an attorney, I'm also telling you, they will not be able to effectively argue it as a defense to this behavior if, in fact, there were, in fact, murderers and she is, uh, she is charged with the murders. This case leaves me speechless because there are so many people who are dead. We have four people dead and we have two missing children and no answers. And no answers and no answers. Now, I do think, by the way, that um, we will see more charges filed. And I think that once the police finally got a handle on all of this, um, we will they will be looking at very, very serious charges. Now, with Daybell, other than other than the his wife, I'm not sure what else they can connect to him. And so I'm going to say this, this is, this may be a prediction. And that is if they can tie him to the wife's death, they may then, and when I say then I'm talking about law enforcement and prosecutors, they may then make a deal with him to get him to talk. Because ultimately, if he can connect Lori Vallow to the death of her children, and the murder of her husband, and then the murder of her brother, that will solve four crimes. So I don't know, but it seems to me that the only thing they really can connect um, Daybell to at this time is the death of his wife, Tammy. We will keep you posted if there are any updates on this case. Allison, our second case is a love triangle gone wrong. Like I said earlier, when do they ever go right? (laughs) 
A female Birmingham, Alabama police detective has been charged with murder, murdering the other woman, it appears. This all happened on Friday night on April 10th, just before midnight. 39-year-old Alfreda Fluker tracked down her lover, who apparently is also a fellow police detective from the very same department. His name is Detective Mario White. He was sitting in an unmarked car with the other woman. And somehow, and I don't know, there's a lot we don't know about this case, Alfreda unloaded her gun on the other woman and ultimately killed her. But Mario was fine. Okay. Here, there's a lot we don't know. And obviously, um, these are only allegations, right? These are only allegations. But what is unbelievable is that none of us, I guess, are above passionate crimes, crimes of passion. Here is a 15-year veteran on the police force, okay? So she is well aware that unless it's a super clean crime scene, if you leave eyewitnesses behind, you're going to get arrested. And lo and behold, one day later, she's arrested. What I find interesting is that she went after the woman and she didn't go after the lover. And we don't know whether they were still in a relationship. We, so you've got one man, you got two women, you got two cops. We don't know if he had left Alfreda for this woman or he was seeing both of them at the same time. There's a lot that we don't know. I just find it fascinating that she killed the woman, but she didn't touch him. I mean, okay, if, I was so, gonna, if I was going to be angry, I would be angry at him. Well, I mean, let's talk about this. So does she kill her intentionally to hurt him so that he sees that the woman he is now in love with is dead? Um, or, you know, a lot of women um, get very angry at the other woman, right? So they say, how could you do this to me? You seduced him away from me. It's your fault. You are the only reason he would have left me. So Alfreda has been charged with murdering 43-year-old Kenesha Nicole Fuller. And she was reportedly still alive when the police got there that night. And she ended up dying at the hospital later. Here's what I find really intriguing. After this woman is shot, does Mario call 911? Does anybody call 911? According to the New York Times, nobody called 911 to help her. Why? Um, I find this entire case, we, we don't know enough, okay? We don't know enough. And so I will be, um, I will be very interested to hear how it really unfolded, okay? But I do not want to discount the fact that the alleged shooter is a police officer. The eyewitness in the car is also a police officer. At the first sign of trouble, they know to call law enforcement. Why is it that nobody was called? Very strange. It is. And apparently Birmingham has um, something called um, an automatic shots fired system within the city. And so that's what triggered the police response. Right. No 
called for help for this woman who apparently was still alive. I, you know, I don't know that getting there a minute or two sooner would have saved her life, but nonetheless, both of these officers apparently made the decision not to call 911 to help her. See, I don't know, Anna. We don't know enough. And so, you know, I, I can speculate, you can speculate, but it is so strange to me. It is so strange to me that the man who is sitting in the vehicle, who is a police officer, witnesses his new girlfriend, current girlfriend, some relation to him, get shot, and he immediately doesn't call 911. That's strange. Oh, it's very strange. You know what also is strange? And this actually just bothers me. When they initially reported this murder, the police would not release his name. He's in the car. He is a witness and He's also an adult, an adult and also a victim of an attempted murder because she's been charged with that. Yet the police chief wouldn't release his name. Excuse me. If this had happened anywhere else in town and anybody else was sitting in that car, you think police would have withheld his name? What kind of favoritism is this? Well, I also saw, you know, I saw that in the press release of sorts, he said, you know, unfortunately, um, this is one of our own. And, um, you know, so you could see that, yes, it's a painful thing, right? It's a painful thing that someone from law enforcement would be charged with murder. However, they should not be above the law. This investigation should be, thir- should be the same as any other murder investigation. Um, and I did see that the, I guess the equivalent of the uh, state FBI, the Alabama Bureau of Investigations, has stepped in to take over the investigation so that there will not be a conflict of interest. Exactly, because you can't have one officer investigating two officers that they worked with. It would be impossible. Right. It would be a conflict without question. So yeah. I think that that is helpful. She has been charged with murder and attempted murder. So right. hopefully soon we will know more about what really went down in that car. It is tragic no matter how you look at it. And very scary when you realize that there were that the person who pulled the trigger and, and allegedly killed the woman is a cop. Allison, it is time for our comments section. Uh, We got a few really interesting ones here. A Colorado woman is arrested for entering the New Orleans airport naked, and she also refuses to leave. The woman was arrested after allegedly arriving at the airport in New Orleans completely naked. Marielle Vegara, 27, of Pueblo, Colorado, walked into the airport naked. She approached Spirit Airlines, the Spirit Airlines counter on April 3rd. Now, Let's we're in full we're in full pandemic at this time, okay? So there's like nobody at the airport. Uh-huh. And, this, and this woman's at the airport and she doesn't have any clothes on. And she's gonna fly Spirit Airlines. All right. Well, um Wait, can uh, I say a few things? Yes, of course. First of all, she didn't want to be charged for extra baggage. I like that. That's being frugal at its best, okay? <laughs> and she saves TSA the trouble of having to do a full screening. Nothing to hide. There you go. Trying to help. Absolutely. Well, she's severely mentally ill, but there we are. But you know what? I think a lot of people are, have been pushed to the limit during this pandemic, yes, right? I agree. I agree. I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying this is justified, but, but clearly, you know, something was going on. And when I guess she put her dress back on, but it still didn't cover the fact that she didn't have underwear on. I mean, this was a, quite a scene. Uh, it, it was an absolute scene. And, you know, it gave, it gave the people at the airport where it's basically empty 
something to do. Absolutely. And it also gave some people an opportunity to comment on this crazy case. Linda M. writes, seriously, though, this girl needs help, not jail time. Joanne N. writes, I think a dress not covering privates is called a shirt. (laughs) I love that one. That's funny. That's very funny. I would agree. And Dawn H. writes, they refuse to sell her a ticket. This is usually my seatmate. I'll have to start going spirit. That's funny. So funny. I love it. Our next case for comments, this next case really annoys me. A woman is accused of licking $1,800 worth of groceries and all sorts of items at a California grocery store, and she's arrested on a felony charge. Now, this really ticks me off. I mean, especially at a time during a pandemic when people are standing in line trying to get stuff and some of the you know, shelves are bare, she goes around licking stuff that then had to be destroyed. That's the part that really upsets me. She's a woman from the South Lake Tahoe area. She was arrested on felony vandalism after she allegedly kicked and handled numerous items at the grocery store. Police arrested 53-year-old Jennifer Walker on Wednesday after a Safeway store employee called to report a woman was licking groceries. Well, here's the thing. No, I have to talk about this because I've been covering a lot of these uh, coronavirus scams and people behaving very badly as we all shelter in place, right? As we all stay at home. And this is one of many cases that is happening around the country where people go into stores, cough on other people, contaminate the food. And I believe this is actually going to be super interesting because I believe that these people are going to be charged, not just for vandalism, but for some form of terrorism. I really do believe this. And you're starting to see that the attorney's general's office is getting involved in these cases, and there's going to be much more serious consequences for this misbehavior. You know, maybe at another time, this would just be a stupid prank and they'd get a lesser charge. But because of the stress of the pandemic and the value of these groceries to people, when the food chain is potentially going to be further interrupted, it just undoes everybody to hear this. So, Anna, for years, there's been a charge in California where if you knowingly, knowingly uh, infect someone with the AIDS virus, so you are HIV positive, you do not share that with the, with the person uh, that you're having sexual relations with, and you don't use any type of protection, and you knowingly infect them. It is a criminal charge, okay? So when these people, analogizing something like that, when these people go into a shop and they cough on people or they contaminate the food and they're actually positive for the coronavirus, they're going to be hit very hard with criminal penalties, very, very hard. So I think that anyone that thinks this is a joke and thinks it's funny is going to find themselves on the wrong side of the law because uh, law enforcement is not going to take these things lightly at all. And uh, these are some of the comments to that case. Diane T. writes, she's that old and doing such things? Shame on her. She never grew up. Catherine P. writes, what is wrong with people? Five minutes of fame? Go help someone, you fool. And Louis G. writes, please don't lick things that don't belong to you. At the very least, I would say, yes. And our final case in the comments section, a Florida woman is accused of placing porn-filled Easter eggs in mailboxes. It's like everybody has lost their minds in this pandemic. 
This Florida woman has been arrested for allegedly putting these explicit content into mailboxes. Deputies say that she filled plastic Easter eggs with pornographic images. During the investigation, 42-year-old Abril Sestoni admitted placing the items in the mailbox, stating that she was educating people. She was arrested and charged with 11 counts of distributing obscene material. The Easter eggs were going to be opened perhaps by by children. children. By children, right. Right. This is real. Uh, Obviously, I think there's something wrong with this woman, but this is a real true criminal offense. I mean, you're distributing child pornography. Yes, absolutely. You know, and again, it's just like everyone is just, the stress of this pandemic is just bringing out the worst in people, especially if they, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's read the comments before I dig myself into a hole here. Marsha W. writes, some strange things happen in Florida. We do get a lot of cases out of Florida. Oh, I know. But I love that state. And Nora D. writes, April Fool's was on the first. Yeah, nothing funny about those eggs. No, not at all. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Allison, thank you for joining us. Um, I also want to point out that the painting that you see by the fridge over there, um, I know is kind of a little silly, but my son painted that when he was a little boy. He's 21 years old now, and um, it has been taped to that cabinet ever since, and I just didn't want to take it down for the podcast. So that's why I that's love it. it. I that's love it. The painting is there. I love it. I mean, it really, I mean, look, we're home. And this is, when you're home, that picture's safe and you need to feel secure and safe. I get it and I love it. And if you took a tour of my home, you'd see plenty of those where I have three fingers, you know, uh, black and blonde hair. I don't know, even know what I have. My, my nose is near my chin. I love it. Yeah. And I think it's at these times when we are um, feeling so under assault, it's the little things that are reminding us of a happier, more normal time that are getting us through. That's right. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Allison. It's always a pleasure. My Um, pleasure. Allison, if anyone wants to follow you or catch up with you, where can they find you? So obviously I have a law firm, um, Allison Treasel Law. Um, I have a website called Wild About Trial. I am on uh, Access Hollywood, where we do a crime roundup, and I'm also a legal expert at KTLA. One busy woman and doing it all from her home. Doing it from my home, Anna. Doing it from my home. All right. Well, you have a good and safe week, Allison. Thank you, too. And as always, you can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, on YouTube, you can get updates by subscribing to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. And remember what we always say, don't do crime. Don't do crime.